Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I am joined by my co-host. It's me, Jason Harris, comedian, filmmaker, slave to love. Slave to love. All right. Is that a song? Is that where you're quoting that from? It's a great song. I don't know that song. Who is that? Brian Ferry, man, after uh, Roxy. All right. Audience, this is for you. Slave to love. How many, da, 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 how many times da, have you sang on this da, podcast? Da, da, I'm just wondering da. why he chose this for this. I don't always. Man. I keep trying to explain this to you. They're not all connected. Uh-huh. I just feel like a slave to love today, guys. We right. can do a little game where you match them up. And da, somehow da, da, they, da, da, they yeah, that might work for like, uh, you know, once or something like that. Or, yeah. Like, no. You know. um, let's move on from that, though. Slave to love. This season of Awesome Movie Year is all about the films of 2007. And in this episode, we are talking about our pick for a future cult classic, which is Edgar Wright's Hot Fuzz. And I think, Jason, this is a movie that you were really adamant about having for this episode. I mean, I thought, really, we looked and it was this or Hot Rod. Uh, oh, right. We did talk about Hot which Rod. Is, <clears throat> which is a fun movie and definitely strives to be something different. than. But I thought this was the... Uh, I mean, the the biggest cult classic of the year and also uh, lives on in the lore of the uh, the Cornetto trilogy with these boys and everything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I agree that this is a good movie and an interesting movie to talk about. Actually, looking up info on this, I, I thought, does this qualify as a cult classic? Because it was a big success initially. Yeah, and I think you usually think of a cult classic as a movie like Hot Rod that didn't do really well in its initial release and then kind of found an audience later. Um, but I think we can say this is a cult classic in that the fans of it are kind of a cult. Like it's, it's a, it engenders a very fervent fan base. Yeah. You could see like people dressing up for a midnight screening of this. Yeah. And also uh, it did attract an, you know, an even bigger audience on DVD and now through streaming, but uh, right. It's, you know, I, maybe it's the, maybe it's them as a unit. Like it's these three stories that is, you know, they're famous, but it's kind of like a, a cult trilogy. Yeah. You say? Yeah. You could call it that the Cornetto trilogy with Shaun of the dead and the world's end. Um, but yeah, this movie made $80.7 million worldwide. What? That's way too much. On, a, on a budget of $16 million. So yeah, let's, let's cancel this episode. <laughs> That's it. Thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. We'll be back next week with Hot Rod, a yeah. cult classic. <laughs> So it was, I mean, obviously that's not Avengers money, but that's pretty good, especially given that really small budget. So it was a successful film. I think there was a high anticipation for it after Shaun of the Dead came out. Did you see this movie in the theaters? I didn't see it in theaters. I watched it on Netflix years later and I watched it again in preparation for this podcast, Dave. What a, what a good plan. Sound, does that sound familiar to you, Dave? I swear I was going to, and I just didn't get around to it. <laughs> yeah, but I've fair. seen this movie many, many times. So. And you and Josh, you obviously. I also watched know, it in prep for the podcast. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, as you might have mentioned a hundred thousand times, you were already a movie reviewer I in was. 2007. I was indeed. So you saw this and did you review it? I, I might've reviewed it on the radio. I was looking up, I didn't write a review of this in Las Vegas Weekly. It was someone else, but I did see it at a press screening do because you, I was a movie critic. Do you pass your time just looking at old reviews that you've written? No, I was, I was looking it up for this podcast oh, okay. because it was relevant. 
I, I mean, I feel like that makes total sense. It does make total sense. <laughs> Thank and you. I would I would have read your review had you well, written right. about yeah, it. Yeah, I didn't. But I did see this in the theater and had seen Shaun of the Dead. Did you had you seen Shaun of the Dead like I when it came with, out? I think I saw it with you. Oh, that's possible. In the yeah, theater because you were a movie critic. I might have been. What yeah, was that? A two thousand four. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. And Shaun of the Dead was really fun, and uh, you know, did did well enough to where. Uh, Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg were given free reign to do whatever they wanted with their next movie. And here we are, baby. Here we are. And it was the right choice to give them free reign. Uh, So one other thing, one thing that I noticed when I was looking up reviews for this movie, which was very, very well reviewed. It has a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. But what I didn't remember is that this movie was released in the U.S. uh, four days after the shooting at Virginia Tech. And a lot of the stuff that I found when I was looking up not only reviews, but just general commentary about this movie at the time was about whether this was inappropriate to be released at that time, which I don't even remember that. Let's credit the U.S. lawmakers who have done (laughs) such a good job since then of, you know, gun reform and gun control. And now we don't have these mass shootings in the U.S. anymore. And and it's good because it's clear that they all care more about human lives than about gun lobbyists and you know, really good people out there. Really good people running this country. Yeah. And it's all thanks to Hot Fuzz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I regret bringing that up. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about some reviews of this movie. Dana Stevens in Slate said, Hot Fuzz is like an Agatha Christie novel directed by Michael Bay and adapted for the screen by P.G. Woodhouse. The script is chock-a-block with absurd puns that somehow become funnier the more you think about them. Wright and Peg don't care if they make you laugh with sight gags, verbal wit, pratfalls, or sheer stupidity. They just want to make you laugh. And even when they don't succeed, the density of jokes is such that you know there's always a good one just around the corner. But the screenplay doesn't coast lazily from laugh to laugh like the loose bundles of skits that too often pass as comedy state size. Ridiculous as Angel and Danny are, we truly care about their budding friendship, not least because of the chemistry between Peg and his real-life buddy Nick Frost, who riff off each other like old vaudevillians. Uh, I didn't care about their friendship. I like really? this. I like this movie, but I didn't care if they were friends or enemies. I just like the movies. So. I mean, yeah, it's not like a deep emotional journey, but I felt like the fact that that they had that dynamic is part of what makes the movie work. You didn't feel that way? No, it definitely does. I was reading um, that in one of the original drafts. You know, the, did you see how long this movie took to write? I did not. It's eighteen months, yeah. and uh, the impetus was that. There was no real British cop film history. You right. Know? And um, so they kept, they wrote it and then rewrote it. And then they watched 138 different cop films like over time to kind of go through all the tropes, which they use plenty of. In yeah. Here. Yeah. Yeah. That was good. Good use of research. Yeah. And they, they interviewed over 50 police officers, Bobby's in England. I did that research, <laughs> but uh, excellent. But uh, in the in one of the original drafts, there was a love interest for Simon Pegg's character Victoria, and they cut the love interest and just gave a lot of her dialogue to uh, Nick Frost, and uh, they didn't change any of it. So there's that. You know, yeah, I think, and I think that really romance. works. Like, I'm surprised to hear you say that that wasn't something that drew you in in this movie. I, I mean, I think their buddy buddy relationship works better in uh, Shaun of the Dead, you know. But like, it was fine in this. I just think like. Um, that wasn't, yeah, that wasn't one of the elements where I was like, oh man, it's Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor all over again or something like that. Huh. I just picked a 
buddy duo that no that's a, a that's a, yeah. an iconic comedy duo made a bunch of movies together yeah, yeah i thought well, we can get into this more later but i i really liked that sinful relationship uh so ann hornaday in the washington post said made by the same team responsible for the hilarious zombie satire Shaun of the dead with the same tongues in the same cheeks hot fuzz skewers yet another hollywood genre the action flick at its most ludicrously macho macro budgeted and overhyped Written and directed by Edgar Wright, starring Nick Frost and co-writer Simon Pegg, Hot Fuzz may go for a few too many style points and suffer from the overlong running times that vex so many recent tushy tinglers, but it delivers the same silly laughs as Shaun of the Dead with the same winking sophistication. It's dumb like a London fox. I agree. It could have been 15 minutes shorter. I think uh, Tushy Tinglers is a different genre altogether that we're <laughs> not getting yeah. into on this spot. Yeah, that was an odd turn of phrase. I assume she means movies that make you sit in your seat for a long time, uh, but I wasn't entirely sure what that was referring yeah, to. It's two hours. So yeah. It's not the... It did feel too long to me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, two hours is certainly not as long as a lot of movies, but for a movie like this, I feel like it probably doesn't need to be that long. It's still Edgar Wright's longest movie in Right. Oh, is it? I feel like Josh's review of the upcoming The Irishman should include Tushy Taylor. <laughs> yeah, I definitely need to quote that. Um, well, and sorry, did you have something there, Jason? No, no? it's going to no? be horrible. Another joke about Tushy Tingling? Yeah, it's not a good one. All right, let's, let it go. Let's, let's move on from that. <laughs> Richard Corliss in Time Magazine called it the best, surely the smartest English language movie of the year to date. Uh, and also said, one big diff between this movie and the Hollywood product it either parodies, the cop buddy action picks, or resembles the current wave of Stiller, Farrell, Vaughn, Wilson, Wilson, slob buddy comedies, is that Wright is an actual filmmaker. His acute sense of visual wit, rich but not assaultive, puts me in mind of Buster Keaton's classic silent farces. To Wright, the movie screen offers a smorgasbord of small, savory gags to be sampled by the attentive viewer. It's not a grapefruit pushed in your face. So other than his also strange turn of phrase there, uh, I feel like he has a good point that one thing that struck me about watching this movie again is that it is really accomplished filmmaking. It's not just here's some funny stuff. Yeah. And I think that's almost every Edgar Wright movie at this point in time. Yeah, I agree with you. I guess I was thinking of that as sort of a progression for him. And I think of Baby Driver and Scott Pilgrim as these movies that are just visually incredibly like elaborate and sophisticated and i think i had this idea that these early movies were more basic but that's really not true yeah and in a, in a way i think baby driver is less than these because of the relationships and the characters i felt like the that's all style yeah it's all sizzle baby no steak <laughs> i want that to say what was the first line of that he said it was the 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 best surely the smartest english language movie of the year to date of course this movie came out in april of that yeah, year though. That, there were some good British movies that came out that year. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, he's saying British or American English language movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. He liked it a lot. Aren't you something Richard Corliss? He is indeed. Um, yeah. I mean, this movie, it was very, very well reviewed. Um, I was sort of surprised looking back to see if it had gotten any major awards and it didn't. Empire but, Magazine ranked it the 50th best British movie of all time in 2016 on their list of 100 greatest British movies. I mean, that's something, but I was <laughs> I was expecting like maybe it had gotten a Golden Globe nomination for best comedy or something like that. And it, it didn't get anything on that level, which is sort of surprising to me. I can see that, but they got millions of bucks. So they did. Fun. And a cult following, as we have established. What more do you want? I did, yeah, And an episode of Awesome Movie Year, which is really the highest honor of all. At least in our eyes. Yes. <laughs> uh, any other 
background info that you found interesting? Like we talked about the DVDs did 33 million in uh, DVD sales. So, you know, pretty good there. Yeah. Um, we know the relationship between these three gents uh, with uh, First Space, their British TV show. Did you ever watch that? I haven't. I feel like it's something I should catch up on, but I've never seen it. Maybe we should watch it together. Yeah. Bro, bro down on space. All right. That sounds fun. You ever see it, Dave? I've always wanted to. No. You're not invited. Nah. Uh, yeah. And Olivia Coleman, I think, is she on that? No, I'm confusing that with Peep Show. But she's in this. You know, She so. is in this. Yeah. Yeah. So and then the other big background piece is that so much of this was based on the Edgar Wright student film, Dead Right. Have you seen that? Uh, no, but I did notice it was on YouTube today, so I might watch it. Oh. And uh, yeah. Um, you know, they shot this in Edgar Wright's hometown. So there's a lot of uh, history going on here. And uh, just it just seemed like they had so much fun making this movie. Yeah. I mean, despite this movie being this over the top cop movie parody, it does seem like it's kind of a personal thing for for all of them, for Edgar Wright and for Simon Pegg and, and Nick Frost as well with the friendship uh, and everything there. So now have you ever had Cornetto ice cream? I have not. Do they even sell it in the U.S.? I don't know. Dave, have you ever had it? I've never had it. I don't think they do. I think it's a British thing. Right. They keep mentioning the, the, the Cornetto trilogy, if we haven't explained, named after the Cornetto ice cream. Uh, very popular in Europe, perhaps. It's an Italian ice cream. And uh, uh, Shaun of the Dead, they reference the strawberry ice cream because of all the blood and gore. This one is the original. I think it's a vanilla flavor, but there's the blue wrapper. So the police... In the world's end, they use mint chocolate chip because of the green aliens. aliens? Yeah. 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 I feel like it's been a while since I saw the world's end, but I feel like the ice cream plays a larger role in that movie, but I could be wrong. Yeah. We should maybe watch it. I haven't seen that or Shaun of the Dead again recently. Yeah. Neither have I, but we have seen Hot Fuzz. So let's take a break and come back and talk more about our thoughts on Hot Fuzz. Today's episode is sponsored by the Golden Tiki. Recently named one of the top tiki bars in the United States by the Food Network and also one of the top 10 best nightlife destinations in Las Vegas by USA Today. They've got great rum, mixed drinks, and of course the Dole Whip. They've got theme nights, DJs, all kinds of fun stuff, including Alan Bud's Oasis, who are two robotic parrots that put on a great show every hour on the hour. So next time you're in Las Vegas, make sure to check out the Golden Tiki on Spring Mountain. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 2007, we're talking about the future cult classic and now current cult classic, Hot Fuzz. Is it both a current and future cult well, classic? Well, it was a future cult classic in 2007, and it is a current cult classic in 2019. Isn't that how that works? Yeah, and it'll probably still be a future cult classic because next year in 2020, it'll still be a cult classic. That is so true. So Amazing time, how time works, isn't is it? It's not a flat object. A flat circle? Yeah, there we go. Matthew McConaughey was right in the first season of uh, that show. True Detective. That's the one. Yeah, which is also about cops, yeah. much like Hot Fuzz which stars Simon Pegg as a, like a super cop, I guess we would call him. Yeah, we get that great intro montage, which is very Edgar Wright-ish, which is good because he directed the, the <laughs> film. So. Not uh, surprising that that's yeah, the style it but uses. But it's, you know, I've, I'm so, uh, you know, Nick, Nicholas Angel. I've, I completed the Academy in this long, and we're seeing all these stylized shots of him kicking ass and everything. He is a super cop, you know, and I right. arrested 400% more than everyone else in London. 
yeah, you get to see all that fun stuff. Yeah, which I thought was funny because we think of Simon Pegg. I mean, at this point, people had mainly just seen him in Shaun of the Dead, where he plays kind of this schlubbish loser. And I feel like even after this, especially in movies that he went on to do without Edgar Wright, he's usually kind of the nerdy, shy guy. And so I was sort of surprised and had forgotten that in this movie, his character is basically like Bruce Willis. Yeah, he is. He, I mean, and it makes sense for this part. So I think it's fun. Yeah, yeah. It works. And he does a good job of it. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is that uh, Nicholas Angel does too good of a job and it makes everyone look bad. So he's packed off to this sleepy village of Sanford where he believes that no crime will be occurring. And of course, he's wrong. There's many, many crimes occurring in this quaint hamlet known as Sanford, Josh. So many crimes the police can't even keep track, nor do they try to. Right. They're. Uh, there's a conspiracy. We're kind of getting to the end here. But what first happens is that there's a lot of murders that are passed off as accidents. And Nicholas Angel decides to investigate further. And he uncovers this grand conspiracy with the help of his overeager partner. Uh, is it Butterman? Dan Danny, Butterman? Danny Butterman. Yes. Which uh, Nick Frost said he'd only do the movie if he could name his character. And that's what he came up with. <laughs> it Danny was a good Butterman. name. It was a good name. I think it fits the character. And he's the overeager small town cop who is not a super cop, but has watched a lot of action movies. Yeah, I didn't get him as overeager. Uh, I at that point, I know I think he becomes overeager when he gets a little support. But at first, I just think he's like, eh, you know, I'm doing this because Daddy told me I could do it type thing. Because his dad is the police inspector chief. Now. Yes, yes, he is played by Jim Broadbent. Right. There's so many good British actors in this movie. I feel like maybe when I first saw it, I wasn't as familiar with all these people. And in the, in the beginning sequence where Nicholas Angel gets booted from the London Police Department and every one of his supervisors, it's like, oh, it's Steve Coogan. Hey, it's Martin Freeman. Hey, it's Bill Nye. Right, right. Yeah, there are. So, the, so in the trilogy, they use Martin Freeman, Bill Nye, Rafe Small. Do you know who that Yeah, is? he plays one of the two detectives in Sanford in this. Him and uh, Patty Considine are the who two I detectives. Lo- who I love, Patty Considine. Uh, in America, one of my favorite movies. You don't like it, let's move on. That is true. Uh, Julia Deacon, Patricia Franklin, and Garth Jennings. So they that's like their little company that they've used in all three of them. Yeah. And uh, not just that, like you mentioned Coogan. There's so many uncredited people in this film. Did yeah. You, did you look that up? I uh, did. Yeah. Kate Blanchett plays Nicholas Angel's girlfriend in the beginning of the movie who dumps him because he's too dedicated to his job. And she does her entire part covered nearly completely really except funny. for her eyes. Yeah. It's a very amusing bit where he keeps mistaking other people for her because she's a crime scene investigator and everyone's got these like hazmat type suits on. And uh, what Peter Jackson plays a homicidal Santa Claus. Yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of director probably friends. Edgar Wright has his own cameo. Peter Jackson, uh, Joe Cornish, and uh, you know, and now Stephen Merchant, director Stephen Merchant. Yes, director of Fighting with My Family, starring Nick Frost. That is true. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. And uh, thank goodness we got a wrestling reference in here again, because that's what we need in every podcast. Jason you, sings. No. References wrestling. You're you're just so incorrect on this one. This one actually had a relationship value to this film. That is true. That is. Yeah. It was far more relevant than any other reference. Yeah. So stop being so smug about this wonderful reference that I've made. Dave, note up 
Josh Smug at this point in yeah. time. What, what is that note for? Put the time code exactly. there. Yeah. <laughs> I just want it noted, Dave. I just want it noted. Uh, yeah, Stephen Merchant is another great British actor who shows up in a small part uh, here. Did you have other, what other cameos were there? I probably feel like I might forget one of them. Uh, well, yeah, Joe Cornish, who, you know, the director. And uh, Edgar Wright plays his stock boy, which he used to play, which he used to play in real life. <laughs> yes, yeah, in up. his real hometown. Yeah, uh, those were the ones I wrote down. And then all the people in the neighborhood Watch Alliance uh, are all known action movie actors which is kind of fun that they did that right led by of course timothy dalton former james bond as the owner of the local supermarket and how much fun is timothy dalton having in this movie he's so good he might be my favorite part of the movie i agree he's just he's like you could see him just relishing every scene like yeah he's been waiting for someone to write him this part for years he's just so great in it there's a still that goes around the internet of him standing in front of his picture. I that, love that. Yes. What, I love that so much. Yeah, yeah. So he's in his office and there's a picture of him on the wall with this smug, almost Josh like smile <laughs> on his face. And uh, he stands right next to it with the same smile on his face. I, I, I noted that shot down. When yeah. Watching it. It's great. There's yeah. so many great background details in that office, too. There's a part where when he is smugly telling uh, Nicholas Angel about all the ways that his theory about the crime are wrong. And he mentions teaching a life drawing class. And on the wall, there is a life drawing that's clearly from this class. That's hilarious. Yes. A lot of, you're right. There was a lot of that stuff and a lot of like weird stuff like uh, Nick Frost's whole movie collection is like Edgar Wright and his brother, all their movies. And oh yeah, uh, there's one, uh, there's one scene where in the supermarket, I think, or in one of the stores, or maybe the convenience store where, where uh, Nick Frost, Danny Butterman is looking at a Super Cop Three, yeah, the Jackie Chan movie, and he throws it in the uh, uh, like back bin? in the bargain bin, yeah, and it's right next to a copy of Shaun of the Dead, <laughs> but it's called uh, like Zombies Zombies Party, which is what they called it in other countries, yeah. But that's kind of really clever, I think. Yeah, there's so much of that. Uh, one other thing I noticed: there's the the one of the murders in this movie is this horrible actor who's insisted on casting himself in Romeo and Juliet and his mistress is Juliet. And the town council is mad because they have these actors who had bit parts in TV shows who could have starred in it. And then after these people are killed, there's a poster in the background in one scene of Romeo and Juliet starring those other actors. He was an extra in Straw Dogs. Yes, and she was on like CSI maybe? Yeah. Something like that. And there was a lot of CSI type montage stuff in yeah. here, but uh which i think that the what i had read is they were referencing tony scott films with like you know man on fire stuff like that the yeah way he was doing stuff uh yeah there and then of course the uh the garden fences you know that's the other callback to their own film oh right to shawn of the dead yeah where they try to leap over the fences yeah and it's in reverse in this one and shawn of the dead simon Pegg can't jump over it and then this one uh nick frost can't jump over it and looks back to the camera after he runs through it. Just yeah. so you know, he did it himself. Yeah. But it's still, it's a funny bit, even if it's recycled. And I hadn't seen Shaun of the Dead in long enough that I didn't remember that from Shaun of the Dead. And I just thought it was a funny bit. And then later on reading about it, realized that it was, it was taken from there. Well, I remembered it. Good job. Great memory, Jason. Uh, yeah. I mean, all the performances we mentioned, Timothy Dalton has having so much fun, but Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, they're a great comedy team. I agree. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about their upcoming project in the legacy, but I'm glad they're coming back together. 
baby. Yeah. And, and, and like I said before, I feel like not only do they have great comedy chemistry, but the relationship that builds between those two characters does have some emotional resonance to it. I mean, this is not like a serious drama, but I thought it was, I was invested and I, I, I was warmed by their relationship building over the course of the movie where they kind of come around to each other and support each other by the end. And Danny Butterman gets to have his big action movie fantasy and Nicholas Angel finally has people on his side when everyone's kind of been against him the whole movie. Yeah, those two should make a romantic comedy with them being interested in one another. I would watch that. I would watch that that too. Yeah, Yeah. I think it would be, we've been friends all these years and we've been looking all over the place and it hasn't worked. We might as well see what's up here. Yeah. You know. Yeah, but even... This without the romance element, I I like the idea that they took those romantic lines and recycled them for the friendship and and just friendship is kind of undervalued. And the idea that they could just hang out and watch action movies was really nice. Yeah, friendship. Nah, Jason Light. (laughs) Jason hates friendship. I don't hate friendship. You're my friend, Josh. Am I? Yes. Yeah, you are. Dave, we we hang out and watch movies. Yeah, you're not invited, Dave. I'm just sitting in the corner. (laughs) We just pay you for your services. Put the money on the dresser. It's there for you, Dave. We we love you. And uh, we mentioned uh, Olivia Coleman is in this, although she has a fairly small part, but of course she's a huge deal now. And she's always good, even in that small part, as the, the lady cop who kind of uh, minimizes her own contributions and jokes about her presence on the force, even though she eventually, you know, she steps up at the end and does a great job when all the cops finally come around to supporting Nick Angel. Yeah. The big, the big other thing is all the fun action sequences. Act three is like uh, a Tarantino wet dream type thing, right? Where it's just all action sequence. And like, first we'll shoot up the town square and then we'll do a crazy car chase. And then we'll have a, crazy supermarket battle and you know it was just one after the next after the next and it was like man this must have been really fun to shoot yeah and i think they as we said about it could have been a little shorter yeah all that action stuff is is really well done and obviously they had a lot of fun making it but at a certain point it's like all right did you have a favorite act of violence in this film um i love the the end when they're fighting in the the tiny town the model village and Timothy Dalton gets uh, impaled by the spire of the model church. And I, what I like about that is that's the kind of thing that I feel like you see in a lot of action movies. And that's, it's like, oh, the bad guy's dead now. But of course, in this movie, he's not dead. It's just been impaled through his jaw. And he's like, I'm in a lot of pain here, guys. And I thought that was hilarious. And what does he ask for to eat? Ice cream. I mean, so, is, that not, is that not the best thing to eat if you're, you're I'm in just pain? saying they love ice cream. They make a lot of ice cream. Do you not love ice cream? I like ice cream a lot. Jason is opposed to ice cream and friendship. Josh, just because we called you out on being smug earlier doesn't mean you have to take it out on me. I'm pro-friendship and much more pro-ice cream. All right. And honestly, I'd be friends with all types of ice cream flavors if I could be. Yeah. But I eat them and I don't think they appreciate them. No. Although that is their service to this world. That was a weird tangent. So two other good deaths uh, or acts of violence. Uh, uh, messenger the uh the reporter did you notice all yeah. the all the uh, people in town had like occupational last names as well i mean or i noticed action. that for him yeah yeah i mean well skinner is the name of the uh to timothy dalton character yeah, the owner of the right. supermarket i'm not sure how that fit. he didn't skin anyone no did but i didn't say they they made sense in what they did i'm just saying they all had names like 
Cooper, Butcher, Staker. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. Like, like names that. related to, to jobs. Doing something. Yeah. Yeah. So the uh, the real church uh, giant. St- what did you call it? A steeple. Right. Is that not what it is? It was a spire. That's what I called it. That's what it is. Yeah. Falls and just crushes his head in a very graphically. Yeah. It basically explodes. (laughs) Yeah. So that was a good one. And I also liked in that big act three sequence where they go and into the pub and uh, he shoots uh, the ceiling and the bear trap comes down on the owner's head and just squishes it. Yeah. (laughs) Those were excellent. excellent. Yeah. And there, I think it really balances where there's a lot of humor in what those action sequences contain but they're also exciting and thrilling and this movie really balances the humor and the action well better than a lot of really big budget supposed action comedies do yeah like this is the quintessential popcorn movie the movie you'd want to just go in and eat your fat tub of gooey popcorn and you know have all your snacks maybe your your uh, jujubes or your your gummy worms or what is it you like, Josh? You like the snow caps? Maybe you snow caps are all right. You're a raisinets guy, maybe? Yeah, raisinets. No. No. Chocolate bars, yeah. Sure, yeah, those, those are, are good. Junior mints, I do like junior mints. You can take them all in there. You That's get a your, lot of snacks. Get your soda, you take your red vines and bite off the, the tips on each end and make a red vine straw. So you're drinking your soda through the straw there. Uh-huh. And, and then you can take your chocolate and put it in the popcorn, get some different flavors, all while you're watching Hot Fuzz in the movie theater. Yeah, that's how I'm selling this. That's a that sounds like a good and stomach ache inducing experience. I watched it at home and didn't eat anything. Yeah, but it is it is that kind of movie. I think that they took a lot of lessons from those hundred and eighty three or whatever action movies that they watched and not just how to make fun of them, but how to recreate that stuff really effectively. Yeah. So I saw some quote with Simon Pegg was like, the difference between us and other parodies is like uh, they're looking down at them and we're looking up to them. And right. So. Right. Yeah. They really take the attitude that the Danny Butterman character has that he worships this stuff. And I think the way that that really is exemplified is the fact that one of the movies that Danny Butterman loves the most is Bad Boys 2, which is just a horrible movie. What you going to do? <laughs> what you going to do when they come for you? Yeah. That's a line from the song Bad Boys. I will not sing it. Thank you. <laughs> I never, I did see Bad Boys too. I didn't like it, but, uh, but they like Point Break and everyone loves Point Break. That's true. Yeah, that's, those are kind of the two main movies that, uh, that Danny Butterman really looks up to the most. Um, but I mean, I'm, Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg would probably say that they do like Bad Boys too and they do like Michael Bay movies. But I think of all the action movies they could pick, the fact that they picked one that's kind of critically reviled shows how much affection they have for this genre, really, no matter what. What's your favorite Michael Bay movie? None of them. Really? The, uh, the Rock was good. The it, Rock yeah, was the good. Rock, I mean, it's been a long time since I saw yeah. that. I have, definitely have not watched Michael Bay movies You got a favorite again. Michael Bay movie? I mean, that's a good one. Uh, at the time, I haven't seen it in year, 10 years at least, but The Island I used to like. Oh, I knew yeah. you were going to say something ridiculous <laughs> yeah. like that. The Island's like that garbage. Movie. Yeah. I feel the like- original Bad Boys was good. No. Uh, he said I didn't say the island. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I really, I dislike Michael Bay greatly. So I'm aware, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not the only one. I think that was my point is that Michael Bay movies, as opposed to, he could have been obsessed with Die Hard, which is a movie that's beloved by audiences and critics. Uh, but 
this is the equivalent of him being obsessed with Die Hard 4 or something like that. Yeah. Well, wait. Oh, yeah. That was the one with Justin Long. Probably. I don't know. I was just picking a crap. You want to hear my Michael Bay story? Of oh, when okay. I met Michael Bay. A friend of mine is a producer uh, and worked for him for a long time. And we were at a rap party and Michael Bay was there. And I uh, asked him, I said, you know, so Michael Bay, I got a question for you. In The Rock, when Sean Connery escapes The Rock, he says, uh, oh, well, they're sneaking back in. And there's like fire and like a blade that comes down. He's like, I had to memorize the timing to escape the rock, the, you know, the prison. So I had to miss the uh, fire and the blade. But then he, so then he sneaks back in and then he just opens a door for the rest of the crew. And uh, why didn't he just open the door when he was escaping Michael Bay? Did you really ask him this? Yeah. And he said, yeah, you aren't supposed to notice that. And then he walked away. Yeah, I feel like. As much as I dislike Michael Bay, that was the exact correct response <laughs> to that query at a, ra- at a rap party for some other thing. From, it wasn't for a from Michael some, Bay rap. I think it was for Even our- so, right. Even worse, he's not there to like engage in critical commentary on his movies. He's just trying to drink some booze and eat some hors d'oeuvres and hang out with his friends. You, Josh, who always proclaims that he's a movie critic. Josh, I don't I don't randomly (laughs) criticize people at parties. I didn't criticize. I asked him, why didn't he just do that? If that's how easy it is. That's really criticism. I feel like that's the essence of it. You are analyzing an element of this movie and asking why it was done that way. The moral is don't invite Jason to your rap party. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, at least not if you're Michael Bay. Uh, That is fair. Also, uh. I don't, I feel like I'm being ganged up on right now by the two of you. And uh, you're taking Michael Bay's side, even though he made the movie Bayside. I, I'm not saying that your criticism is invalid. I'm just saying it was the wrong venue for But it. where else am I going to talk to Michael Bay? You're going to not talk to Michael <laughs> Bay. That's the point. I think I might have said hi to him once or twice afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Um, where were we? We're Jesus Christ, we really got off track. We're talking here. about the film what, what, what would you say to Edgar Wright if you saw him at a rap party? I'd say I really like all of your films. I mean, I wouldn't say I don't like. I would say hi. All right, <laughs> you've learned your lesson. That's the well, right he's, thing. To, you're, he's he's a better filmmaker than Michael Bay. Yeah, for yes, sure. of course. Yeah. I'm not saying I go to rap parties to insult directors. <laughs> I'm just saying I thought this was a valid question. Also, I was probably uh, like in my mid twenties and might've been kind of an asshole. That was, there. that was my point <laughs> is that here. I is, probably wouldn't say it now. If yeah, I that's it, good. So. so you've matured. Yeah. Michael Bay has, has not, not matured definitely has not. Yeah. So really maybe you do come out ahead <laughs> other than the fact that Michael Bay has millions of dollars, but and we have a podcast. Yeah. Does billions of dollars buy you happiness, Josh? I mean, maybe that's remains to be seen. So hot fuzz. What else did we <laughs> like about this movie? Uh, yeah, no, everyday the NWA. The uh, yeah. oh, is that the name for the the neighborhood watch? Yeah, yeah. named Hello. after the wrestling promotion. No, named after NWA, <laughs> the band, I, the, the I, seminal rap group. Yes, I know that. I just was going to give you an opening to talk about wrestling again. <sighs> Josh, isn't that, that has, a wrestling thing? It is, but it has nothing to do with this film. Can you please stay on task? Here? Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, they were funny, and I I do love the reveal where it's this kind of double reveal in the movie where Nick Angel does all this investigation and he figures out how all the murder victims are connected through Timothy Dalton's character. And he gives that long uh, Agatha Christie style, as one of these reviews mentioned, speech about solving it. And 
not only does the villain, of course, tell him that he's wrong, which you assume, well, obviously he's going to deny it, but it turns out that he is in fact wrong, as we learn in the later explanation, where all of these people have just been killed for these incre- incredibly petty reasons related to making <laughs> yeah. the village look bad. Yeah, yeah, they're all bad. Like you said, the actors are killed because they're bad actors. Right, right. And the yeah. flower shop owner who might move away and bring her flower making, arranging skills to another village. She's so good at it that right. only they could have it. Yeah, you know, exactly. Was- that was true. And then there's the the next swerve, which is you think, well, you don't, I mean, Butterman, you know, stabs him. But if you remember, you know, he did put that pocket protector. Right, yeah, no right. There, there yeah. is a moment there where you might kind of wonder, is he in on it too? Yeah, I don't know. Most of that stuff, like, I'd be like, eh, this shit didn't work. But it does work. So Yeah, you know. I think it does. And I think there's a lot of stuff where if this was played straight, if it was made by a filmmaker with a different kind of sensibility, like Michael Bay, for example, it wouldn't work. You would, it would just be a dumb action movie, but it has that perfect balance. Like I was laughing throughout this movie. It's very funny. And, but I was also like into all the action stuff. Yeah. What is, there's one line, uh, where he, he said, where they're all in the bar and he goes, uh, everyone, everyone and their mother is packing in town, you know, you, right. you know, you see that guy over there, he's packing. He goes, who else is packing? He goes, His mother. Right. Yes. <laughs> so. Yeah. There's, there's very cleverly written. Yeah, by, it, uh, it, good movie. Yes, agreed. Better than every Michael Bay movie. Yes, thank you. Agreed. Absolutely, <laughs> much better and better than. Uh, well, I don't know. It's been it's been a while. No, should we say is you... this is this is this the best movie of the trilogy? I think Shaun of the Dead's the best of the trilogy. Yeah, I would be inclined to say that as well. But it's been so long since I saw that that I'm not sure. I remember watching this movie and liking it but being a little let down based on how much I had liked Shaun of the Dead. But coming back to yeah. it now, I was like, this is a really good movie. I felt the exact same way. I like it better on this viewing. And uh, yeah, I would rank the trilogy in that order. Shaun, this, and then World's End. But, yeah. I, but w- I would like to watch that again, too, to see how I feel about it now. Right. I remember that one being even more overlong. I don't know if it's the same length as this movie, but I remember it feeling kind of drawn out. But, you know, speaking of cult classics... My favorite Edgar Wright film is Scott Pilgrim versus the world. That's an amazing movie. Yeah, I agree. I love that movie. And I think we'd been uh, talking about if we did a best of the decade retrospective at some point, that would be way up there on my list of the best movies of the tens. Yeah. How do you feel uh, in the Edgar Wright canon? How does your order go, Dave? I actually would put Hot Fuzz at the top, but I mean, just by a narrow margin, Shaun of the Dead is so freaking good too. Yeah. You know? um, I actually saw the three of them when uh, The World's End came out. I went to a uh, trilogy screening at awesome. Village Square. Awesome. You didn't drive to another state. No, I didn't have to do that. <laughs> yeah. but, by the way, one other scene. I don't know how to describe this, so I just brought it up to show you guys. But this scene is one of the funniest things from this movie. The two Andys who just like <laughs> constantly just don't want to do police work. Yeah, just yeah. are so They're, smarmy. And they, and, they just you know. slide off screen. Yeah. Like it's so funny. Patty Considine is a great actor. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, they're both really good. And I I liked again that even though they torment him. Nick Angel and they torment Danny Butterman too the whole time and and even Olivia Coleman as the girl police woman kind of dismisses them at the end when they realize what's going on and there is injustice they all come around to his side yeah they do and they do police work they do yeah um hey one cool story that I read about Timothy Dalton on this is when they were doing like the first scene where the two of them meet in the uh, supermarket in his manager's office, like the first standoff scene between the two of them, it was set up so they would shoot it two days, 
So the first day it was set up so they'll shoot all of Timothy Dalton's, you know, dialogue on camera. And the second day they would shoot all of Simon Pegg. So they reversed everything. So none of them thought Timothy Dalton was going to show up the second day because he wasn't supposed to because uh, he wasn't on camera the whole at all. But he just showed up just so he could give the readings, you know, to act with his acting partner, which is very awesome and unselfish. And a lot of actors don't do that if they're not on camera. They'll like phone it in or not even show up or like be eating. You know, I've heard, um, you know, of a very famous actress who used to eat when she was off camera and everything. So I thought that was just awesome. Kudos to you, Sir Timothy Dalton. Yeah, like you said, he's clearly having a really good time and was probably very appreciative of getting a role like this after being James Bond, where a lot of those actors, they get typecasts and they don't get. I feel like it's kind of like what Daniel Craig has gotten recently in like Logan Lucky and Knives Out where he gets to subvert that James Bond image and do something wacky. Yeah, well, and Craig, you know, purposely did that maybe because he saw other uh James Bond not get the roles, but uh but Dalton did say that act 3, I think that whole chase sequence was like the most fun he's ever had shooting anything. So. Yeah. I can absolutely see that. So, uh, do we want to give this a rating out of Cornettos? I guess that seems appropriate. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm going to give it three and a half Cornettos, and I'll give it one strawberry. <laughs> I'll give it two original, or two, one and a half blue, the original, and I'll give it one uh, mint chocolate chip. So, three and a half. I'm not going to break it down like that because that seems excessive, but I, I will agree and give it three and a half. I think the only real big flaw is that it is a little too long and it does drag in spots. Yeah, I think if they cut it to cut it 15 minutes, it would it would get an extra half a Cornetto from me. Yeah, so. I think so, too. Uh, so we'll come back in a moment and talk some more about the legacy of Hot Fuzz. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 2007, we're talking about the future cult classic, Edgar Wright's Hot Fuzz. And obviously, given our designation, a big legacy of this movie is that it is, in fact, a cult classic. Yes. Yes, I'm glad you agree. <laughs> we, have, we have managed to sustain the premise of this episode. Yes, it is a cult classic, so it fits the, the necessary uh, parameters yeah. to be in the cult classic episode. Excellent. From, from glad to hear it. Um, but I mean, I think it, that means it gets things like revivals and like Dave was saying, going to see the marathon of the whole Cornetto trilogy when the other one came out and it's certainly built in reputation over time, even as we were saying, like among ourselves that we liked it more watching it again. Yeah, I think so. And then you see movies like 21 Jump Street and stuff like that. And you're like, man, they definitely watched Hot Fuzz when they were prepping this thing. So, you know, we, we already mentioned the world's end there the third of this trilogy, but I would love to see all three of them work together again. Yeah, I would too. I mean, I have really enjoyed stuff that Edgar Wright has done without these guys. I mean, we were talking about Scott Pilgrim versus the world, which I just think is a great movie and is probably my favorite of his films. Yeah. Um, I like baby driver a lot. I'm guessing you didn't. I didn't. I just thought it was like I said, all style and no substance, but I'd be willing to watch it again to see if, um, you know, somehow, I was mistaken, which yeah. is very rare. No, you're, you're, you're never wrong, even when talking to Michael Bay. I was right about the point I you was were. making. You so. were. You were. God, are you like Michael Bay's manager or something no, over there? No. Man, I didn't expect you of all people to 
I'm, get- I'm not defending his filmmaking. I'm defending party etiquette. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so all people, you, uh, you, the maestro of parties. Yeah, I am. So. Um, no, I like Baby Driver. I, I think you're not you're not wrong that it is a lot of style and not as much substance. I felt like it had enough substance and that in, in a way like Hot Fuzz, that the style and the substance work together and that because the way that it's constructed gives you something about the characters and that in Hot Fuzz, well, where you maybe didn't feel like the character development was all that important, I thought that all of that stuff went hand in hand here and that it kind of does in Baby Driver also. Yeah, I, well, I mean, it worked for me here, and it didn't work for me in Baby Drivers. Right, right. Um, and then his next film, which is a psychological thriller called Last Night in Soho that comes out in September 2020. Yeah. I, I'm down for that. Sounds right. different from anything else he's done, and I'm, I'm all for it. He's got another one wrapped, too, doesn't he? Does he? I think so, Dave. That was the only one that I had seen yeah. that, that is wrapped and supposed to come out in September. And uh, the boys are getting back together. Are they? I think I had missed it. What, is there, what are they doing uh, together? They're doing a TV show called Truth Seekers, aren't they? Where they're I, both like kind of... Uh, paranormal ghost hunters. Is this a scripted show? Yeah, I think it's going to be a really funny, you know, like eight, 10 episode or whatever it is. Maybe 20 episodes. I don't know. Yeah, however many they want. Them. No, that's great. I think they definitely should team up again. And especially because what they've done kind of individually away from each other and away from Edgar Wright has really not been all that yeah. good. I mean, you made fun of uh, fighting with my family, but has other than Star Trek, has either of them been in a better movie than Fighting with My Family? Well, Simon Pegg is also in the Mission Impossible movies, which, which are, are also great. which. Yeah, yeah, you love those movies. Yeah. yeah uh, other than Last Night in Soho, he doesn't have another project for sure coming. He's attached to like seven things, though. Yeah, I mean, he's always working on. It. So he spent all those years working on the Ant Man movie that, of course, he didn't end up directing. Yeah, what a yeah. well, and then that turned out to be great. So it's not really a bummer. Yeah, I mean, it's a bummer in the sense that, like, I'm sure it would have been great if he had done it, but I wonder if it would have worked the way that they wanted it. Obviously, to make it a Marvel movie, they had to right. go in a different direction. Autor is not welcome. Definitely not. But Peyton Reed did a good job with what he was given and then went on and made a sequel that was also they're good. both very good yeah. i like those films quite yeah a bit. You know, i do um, too but yeah seeing simon simon pegg and nick frost you look through their filmography and it's a lot of these especially simon pegg these like obscure comedies that are very poorly reviewed and yeah. were barely released well, and then a mission impossible movie and a star trek movie and then a bunch right. of obscure things where he's you know he's one of the leads but he's more of a supporting yeah. player what was that one wasn't he like in the romance there was like how to tell a guy. Oh, how to, like, oh. how to lose friends and alienate people. Is yeah. that the one you're thinking of? That is really bad. Yeah, I know. Cause I was such a big book or something. And it yeah. It was like a bidding war and the whole thing, but uh, that, that did not do well. No, no, it did not. And the one other team up between the two of them that I can think of is Paul, the uh, alien comedy. Right. Were you a fan of that one? I never saw it. It's all right. Um, it definitely doesn't capture the magic that I think people were hoping for to see them team up again. And Simon Pegg, I believe wrote or co-wrote that one. Um, and it's got Seth, it's got them plus Seth Rogen. I mean, it's like a comedy all-star team and it's just okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't see that. I didn't see run fat boy run, you know, there's oh, a lot. God, I think I did see that. A lot of these films I haven't seen with these, uh, gents in it besides, uh, these, these, uh, Cornettos. Yeah. I, I mean, there's a lot that I haven't seen, as well, I did see How to Lose Friends and Alienate People, but if you look at that, that list of their filmographies, there's tons of movies that I barely even heard of. 
and that's what they're doing. So our homework assignment is to watch Spaced. Definitely watch Spaced. Rewatch The World's End and uh, get excited for Truth Seekers. Yeah, and that uh, that student film, what was it called again? Yeah, that's called Dark Right, which, uh, which the whole point of these things are, and they said it when they named Hot Fuzz, was to put two words together that don't really make sense right you yeah because it just sounds like a generic action movie yeah title. I said like, like die hard right like, it's dead right sorry. dead right yeah. yeah um yeah i think with space too and one of the things that i noted down as the legacy is that because this movie and the cornetto trilogy as a whole were pretty popular in the u.s that american viewers who maybe hadn't seen spaced and hadn't seen the early stuff that these guys did then went back and watch those. And I think there's a much bigger cult following for Spaced in the U.S. now than there How was. How do viewers in the U.S. watch Spaced, Josh? I assume it's on some sort of streaming service, but I don't know for sure. Dave, can you look that up? <laughs> or they watch it in some other questionably I, I authorized manner. If these three, and I think they will at some point get back together again, like it would be a big deal. It would. I wonder if they do Spaced the movie. It's on Hulu and it's on Tubi. All right. All so right. it's very, uh, Tubi is free. So yeah. anyone can watch Hulu, it. Everybody. All right. So we're going to watch Spaced and report back on that. We can report back someday. On that someday. Yeah. Why not? Why yeah. not? So uh, any other legacy thoughts on Hot Fuzz? No, I do think, though, it definitely helped, like, kind of with these, like, action buddy comedies, like, reignite the uh, genre. This one did it so well. And, you know, now we're getting uh, lesser returns on them. But of course, it's, uh, it's 12 years later. But uh, yeah, no, this this is just a good film. It is a good film. Yeah. And I, I can see how emulating this, if you're not as talented as Edgar Wright, would not go well. Yeah, it must be nice to be uh, like a filmmaker, like and you make a movie for six million dollars, like Shaun of the Dead, and then you make uh, 30 million back and they're like, just go do whatever you want. You yeah. Know? Does that exist anymore? I wonder. I mean, I, it, I'm sure it does in certain places, but I think. The other thing is that a lot of times when that happens, you hear the stories of that being a disaster and not everyone right. is Edgar Wright and he's able to just, he was given that freedom and he turned in a great movie that a lot of people really liked. Did you notice who the uh, music supervisor, what his name was? I did not. Dave, you know it? Mm -mm. Nick Angel. Oh, that did they name him, the name the character after him? No. No, it's just a coincidence? They named the music supervisor after the character. Oh, so there was no music supervisor. No, there supervisor. is. There oh, is. Okay. No, that's I know, true. It could, be, it could be a pseudonym like the Coen brothers. No, they, they, it is named after Nick Angel, the music uh, supervisor. Yeah, I mean, it's a, that's a good, like, super cop name, though, Nick Angel. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, in conclusion, Hot Fuzz, good movie. Good movie. Cult yes. classic, worthy. We like it better than... Uh, uh, some of the other cult classics we've done. What was the other Cemetery Man? Yeah, this is better than this that. is better. Than, it's very different from Cemetery Man. It's got a different audience. But I think, as I said in our Cemetery Man episode, I'm sure that Edgar Wright has seen and liked that movie, mm. and that it was an influence on Shaun of the Dead. So yeah, it all comes together, man. Man, it all does come together, Josh. <laughs> so that's Hot Fuzz, and that's this episode of Awesome Movie Year. Check us out on the social media. You know, Josh, we are on the social media. And I was listening back to an episode and you uh, chastised me for rushing through the social media, which yeah. I'll never do no, again. you shouldn't do that. No, I won't. I'll, uh, we are on uh, Facebook and uh, Instagram at uh, Awesome Movie Year. We are on Twitter at Awesome Movie Pod. And you can find us uh, on the web at awesomemovieyear.com. You're doing some ASMR there? Is that what's <laughs> happening? I myself am Jason Harris Comedy on Facebook and Instagram. You can find me on Twitter at 
Jay Harris Comedy or on the web at goforjason.com. I'm at joshbellhateseverything.com, at Signalbleed on Twitter, and at Josh Bell Hates Everything on Facebook. And our producer, David Rosen, has his great podcast, Piecing It Together. Which just did its first live podcast, which you were a part of. I was indeed, although when this episode comes out, it'll have been a long time ago. But they, well, there goes the magic. <laughs> How many people were in the crowd for that? Oh, so many. <laughs> we could add them in by the time this airs. We could add them in post-op. But uh, yeah, no, Piecing It Together, you can find wherever you listen to this podcast and on uh, piecingpod.com, at piecingpod on the social medias, and check out the Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces Facebook group. Yeah, you know, and speaking of these live podcasts, maybe that's a service we can offer. We'll come to your party and do a live awesome movie or podcast. <laughs> Especially we could come to your rap party and do a yeah, podcast about, about how your, your movie sucks. Just show us the dailies yes. and we'll tell you what's wrong with it. <laughs> what do we have next time, Jason? Well, Josh, as you know, in our season finales, we like to give the power to the audience, power to the people. That's what we're all about here at Awesome Movie Year. So this year's audience choice poll was all about another comedy filmmaker, uh, Judd Apatow exploded, not literally in 2007, but he had a monster year as a director and a producer. So we thought uh, this is the year of Apatow. Let's let the audience choose one of his three films for us to uh, talk about in the audience choice episode. And the winner was uh, a movie I personally love. Spoiler alert. Super bad, which I still think resonates today, which Apatow produced and uh, helped really launch Jonah Hill and Michael Sarah into the comedy stratospheres, if you will, a uh, buddy high school movie where they're going to the party that I, st- I still think is emulated very often. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, there was stuff recently that uh, took a lot from Superbad, and we can talk more about that in our next episode. It'll be our second Michael Sarah movie of this season. Can't get enough of him, baby. He's great. So tune in next time for Superbad. Thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. And all points west. Thank you.